We must talk. Oh, my God. God? God is love. I don't love you. I can't do this. I can lay you out and fill your mouth with your mother's feces. Or we can talk. Are you one of them? Are you an angel? I am the first angel, loved once above all others. Perfect love. But like all true love, one day it withered on the vine. Ah, the winged party boy is about. Come to feed on the guts of your little Mary. Are you a part of it? No, Catherine. Other angels have made this war because they hate you. You and all humans. God has put you in his grace and pushed them aside. They're desperate. They've never been able to conquer the other loyal angels. And so this war has remained in stalemate for thousands of years. And while this state of affairs endures, no soul can meet its God. Your parents and their parents and so on from the beginning lie still in wormy earth. Of course, some of them do come to me eventually. For while heaven may be closed, I am always open, even on Christmas. Gabriel has a plan. Humans, and how I love you talking monkeys for this, know more about war and treachery of the spirit than any angel. Gabriel is well aware of this and has found a way to steal the blackest soul on earth to fight for him. If he wins, heaven opens. I know that this new heaven will just be another hell. You see... I'm not here to help you and the little bitch because I love you or because I care for you, but because two hells is one hell too many. And I can't have that. What I'm offering you is a chance not only to save Mary, but to finally open heaven to your kind. What do you say? Radio Drone. Welcome to our late 
Christmas episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Cecil himself. Ho, ho, ho. Hey, it's after Christmas. Don't be doing that crap. Hey, it's not, uh, it's not Orthodox Christian Serbian Christmas yet, so this can still count. I haven't even actually celebrated Christmas yet. So technically we're not late to Peter because we're actually doing this episode late because of Peter? Oh, it's because of my computer, you ass. I, I know, I, I explained it, <laughs> I how that window, really, that Windows it, 10 update killed you. Yeah, it did. And I've had to reset my, my laptop a number of times. Well, if you guys want a little bit of computer protection, you could go to NordVPN. What you do is you go to the website, 1201beyond.com backslash VPN, And if you do that, it'll take you to Nord's site, where for only $3.79 a month, you can get Nord's protection for a three-year plan. That's 75% off of a three-year plan. They'll encode your data. They'll protect you online. You can get around region coding. You basically need a VPN, a virtual private network nowadays. So go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. And then there's also adamandeve.com. You know, ring in the new year, something up your butt. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. I wanted to do a religious franchise, because religion ties in with Christmas. This was meant to be our Christmas episode. So we're going to look at the Prophecy franchise. It's a religious franchise. So before getting into any of the individual movies or the backstory, or all the nonsense that we went into. What are your thoughts on the the five-film prophecy franchise, which most people are shocked, wait, there are five movies? Because <laughs> a lot of people forget, yeah, ten years later they made four and five, and we'll talk about that when we get there. I think the first one is really good. Prophecy 1 is a genuinely good film. 2 is pretty good as well. I can see why people are confused that there's like five of them, because... Really, the only one that I feel like had proper release and a lot of like A-list actors and stuff was the was the first movie. Like it's kind of considered a cult film, but I do think it's quite good. I very much enjoy the first one. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. The first one was a legit, well done uh, movie with uh, Christopher Walken and Virginia Madsen, and uh, had a theatrical run for Miramax. It did moderately well. You know, it wasn't a big blockbuster, but it was enough of a success that they decided to keep it going, and they mm-hmm. went direct-to-video with two and three and i think people are confused in general because they don't know that there's five of them because one two and three all have the tie-in of christopher walken and then after that it's 10 years later after the last one and then it's kari Wur. i love kari Wur, but it, it's like, oh, wait, this is the same franchise as the Christopher Walken one? <laughs> so, Not really? And I'll explain that when we get to that point? But but that's the, that's the whole thing, is that it is a franchise, but... Well, I mean, it is a, the first three is the franchise, and four and five are part of the franchise, but not really. Now, we're going to have to talk about the Weinsteins a lot in this. Let's leave the warthog in the room out of it, and we'll just talk about them as film producers instead of what the, the jokes we all want to make about the warthog in the room. So originally, the first movie, the initial press release called it God's Army. Then a subsequent press release called it Damon. D-A-E-M-O-N, and then eventually Prophecy. Because here's the thing, the movie came out in 1995. It was shot and meant for release in 1993. Mm. Scissorhands Weinstein couldn't, wasn't happy with the edit of the movie, so he, it sat on the shelf for 
two years while he kept scissoring away at it. And you can even really tell that this was meant to be 1993, not so much for the movie itself, but for the tie-in. Go and watch the Madonna video for Bad Girl, where Christopher Walken plays Gabriel the Angel stalking her as she's slowly being destroyed by her self-destructive lifestyle. That video came out two years before the goddamn movie that it was a tie-in to. So there's a war going on between the angels. Some of the angels feel that, that God made man as he should have. Some of the angels feel man took away God's love from them and they hate us. They despise us. And it turns out when we get a monologue from Satan later, for the last 10,000 years, no soul has been able to enter either heaven or hell due to this war between angels. And they're all just sitting in purgatory. So the war has to come to an end one way or another. This Korean War veteran, Colonel Arnold Hawthorne, turns out to be the most evil soul that has ever existed. Archangel Gabriel, Christopher Walken, wants to use this soul as a way to end the war. I have problems with this because I really can't see how Colonel Arnold Hawthorne is more evil than Hitler or Stalin or Jeffrey <laughs> Dahmer or something. I don't understand how this one guy is the most evil soul ever. Angel Simon, on the opposite side, hides the soul in a little Indian girl so it becomes kind of a chase film as all the angels are trying to get this soul to use it for their little war and Christopher Walken is constantly destroying us talking monkeys in the process. Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, it's it's a neat movie. It's well done. A little silly if you really start to think about it. Yeah, but, it, uh, as, I, as I was giving that description, it sounds a little not as good as the movie actually is, doesn't it? Well, there's a lot of movies like that where as you're watching it, you're like, this is really entertaining and good. And, and then after it's over, you sit back and you're, wow, I like that. And then you start to think about it and you're like, wow, that was really dumb. Like, But you still enjoy it for what it is. Like in the context of the movie itself, it's good but it is kind of corny and i do wonder if uh we ever got like what the original cut was supposed to be if maybe it would have made things make a little bit more sense because you'd be surprised that well not you but people in general would be surprised uh little scenes here and there that might take something like that and you know express it in a way that makes sense but then you've got a producer or a weinstein involved who's like thinks that uh uh well they're talking too much cut that out get to the action people don't care and then it ends up taking something out that would have explained something but now all right well now this doesn't make sense this movie has a very theatrical feel to it, and I'll come back to that when we get to some of the other movies. It also has scene stealers, because it's got a, it's got a pretty A-list cast, like Eric Stoltz is the, the Angel Simon, you've got Virginia Madsen as the human who's kind of caught in the middle of all this, you got Christopher Walken, obviously, you have Amanda Plummer and Adam Goldberg as sort of zombies that, that, Christopher Walken keeps just to do his bidding because he hates humans so much that people he just will not let die. Early show, uh, Viggo Mortensen, too, I believe. The show stealer, even though he only has two scenes, Viggo Mortensen as Lucifer absolutely steals this movie from oh, everybody yeah. else. He's yes. only in two scenes, and both of them are basically monologues. He just owns this movie. He's really good in it. And here, here's the thing about this one. You can see the money is on the screen. Okay, yes, it sat on the shelf for two years, but this, this 
feels like it should feel. And I think that comes from director and writer Gregory Wyden. A common criticism of this movie also comes down to Gregory Wyden. This is Highlander with Angels. Gregory Wyden <laughs> is the writer of the original Highlander movie. He's the oh, creator boy. of that franchise. Because think about it. You have a race of immortals who can't die except by... Okay, they they can get their heads cut off, but they have to have their hearts taken out. So a very specific way that can kill them, and that's the only way. Otherwise, they're immortals. They can sense when another one of them is around. They've been influencing history as they've as they go around. There's a war going on. There's a prize to be won if they kill one another. This is Highlander with angels. Oh my God, it is. You didn't notice that. You didn't notice that when you were watching it. That's hilarious. Well, I never put that together, actually. I don't know if that was smarter Gregory Wyden saying, hey, I had this hit, let's repeat that, or if that's lazy, him going, yeah, this is all I got. Maybe column A and column B. Maybe a little bit of both. He just, he just like, would erase McCloud, you know, put Gabriel in there. Because I know when I was rewatching these, you know, I noticed Gregory Wyden's name, and I'm just like, this is f***ing Highlander, man. It's just a religious version <laughs> of Highlander. But so the first film, it's quite good. It it ends not definitively, so there is opening for a sequel. It ends pretty definitively. The film works good on its own. I'm not sure this needed to be a franchise, but I'm also not mad that it was a franchise, if that makes sense. I started out the episode just basically going into how I did enjoy very much the first movie. I do think it's it's a cool film. It's slick. It's very well directed. It looks really good. You can definitely see the money on the screen. And you've got some great A-list performances from some real A-list guys. And, you know, early showing of, of Viggo Mortensen and what he can do. And even though, like, he is, like, kind of barely in the movie, the, the impact that he brings is great. So I, I do think as a film that just stands on its own, prophecy is is really good and it's really easy to forget that there are not only not only a sequel a third film but like four other sequels in this in this franchise i i don't really get why this needed to become a franchise well i think that has to do with just like i said the movie sat on the shelf for two years so when it came out in 1995 it was kind of an unexpected hit it mm. made a, not a ton of money. It wasn't a blockbuster, but it made a lot more money than I think Warthog Weinstein thought it was going to. Otherwise, mm. he probably would have released it in 1993 when it was actually shot. Then they decided to make a sequel. Prophecy 2 was also meant to be theatrical. So this one does still feel theatrical. And it's got a lot of A-list actors. You've got Christopher Walken coming back. You've got Russell Wong. You've got Jennifer Beals, Brittany Murphy, Eric Roberts, technically Glenn Danzig for the 18 seconds he's on screen you got bruce bruce abbott now taking over the thomas daggett role you, you will in you do have in the first three movies technically in the fourth and fifth movie stephen hinter as as joseph the coroner as the only character that's in all five movies he only appears in four and five via email so it's not <laughs> actually the actor but the uh -oh. character still has something to do with all five movies and he's the only one prophecy 2 was meant to be theatrical and you can kind of tell when you watch it it's got i'm not trying to be demeaning to direct to video because you guys know i love direct to video but there's a certain feel when a movie is made direct to video versus a theatrical film that is dumped direct to video and, and especially that's what in the this 90s feels like. 
Yeah. Especially back then too, because they were shooting with lenses and, and stuff that was meant more for the TV screen and not for like a widescreen theatrical release, which is why a lot of like made for TV movies back then and direct to video movies back then weren't like widescreen. Does, you can tell that this was shot for a theater. It has a real nice, crisp, wide look to it. It's, it's very, it, it's, it's a big looking movie and it's a, it looks like it was meant to be in a theater. So I, I do absolutely get what you're talking about. So Prophecy 2 came out in 1998, direct-to-video. I don't know what the behind-the-scenes was on this one, where the Weinsteins decided, no, we're just going to dump this one to video, because they clearly spent a lot of money on this. Like I said, that cast alone had to have cost quite a bit of money. So this time, as he, at, at the end of the first movie, Gabriel gets stopped from his war by Satan pulling out his heart, and so he's sentenced into hell, and all, all the souls can enter heaven and hell, and blah, blah, blah. So this movie, it it doesn't really give an explanation, but Satan's had enough of Gabriel's crap and kicks him out of hell, so he's back on Earth now. They don't really explain that part, but Russell Wong is the is the angel Danielle, and he falls in love with Jennifer Beals Valerie. He gets her pregnant, and her child now could be the thing the the MacGuffin that could end the the civil war, which is still going on between angels and angels. So this is another chase film where. Now they have to get the now they have to get the baby or protect the baby and Eric Roberts is the archangel Michael Glenn Danzig shows up as archangel S- Samuel 18 seconds and then he's killed by Russell Wong and I guarantee you there are deleted scenes of that because these (laughs) characters talk to one another in his one scene like they have a long history and I remember when this movie was in production all the metal magazines were talking about Danzig co-starring in this and he's got 18 seconds of screen time (laughs) so I guarantee you Danzig had scenes maybe it's because he's not an actor maybe his line deliveries were terrible I don't know Danzig is not really in this movie but everyone remember even when my girlfriend and i were going to rewatch this she goes is that the one with danzig and i'm like kinda yeah you can barely even tell it's him either he's got this weird like demon sort of makeup on he's always yelling and he never wears a shirt (laughs) actually he is wearing a shirt in this one because danielle rips it when he tears samuel's heart out well that's the thing he at some point he's going to have part of that shirt real ripped uh the shirt is going to be damaged because yes the natural order of things is that danzig needs to be shirtless Absolutely. I I was actually very sad when I went into watching this one because say you know I had been reading you know Rip and all those other metal magazines and uh I love Danzig and so I was like oh he's going to get into acting now and cuz he had been doing like uh his comic books and stuff and and I was like oh he's going to do this and then yeah it's like oh and he's oh there he is oh there he went like <laughs> And then I'm like, okay, well, he got killed. Maybe they're going to bring him back as, like, super undead Danzig from hell. And no, it just, that was it. The movie just kind of continues without him. Yeah, it's just kind of like, hey, here's this guy. He's really, you know, well, short, but he's really beefy and then he just goes away and that's the end of that he 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 honestly could have been just any one of the nameless angel army that you you know what russell wong actually kills quite a few of quite a few angels in this movie (laughs) yeah it legitimately could have been any 
just nameless actor extra that they threw in there and killed. Like it didn't, <laughs> yeah. it didn't need to be, I'm sure whatever they paid him was way more than they would have paid for somebody who normally would have had a role like that. So I do wonder if it's like, like you said, was it cut because he's just not a good actor or was it cut because it just, they wanted to kind of move things along and it didn't really add anything to the plot one way or the other. I don't know. It's, it's barely there and, and that's it. It's disappointing. It would have been kind of cool to have this, uh, these movies and around that time, you know, Henry Rollins was doing stuff. I think he, he eventually went off and did Johnny Mnemonic, the chase with Charlie Sheen and stuff. It would have been kind of cool to see them sort of going head to head and being in their own little, uh, respective movies doing bit parts and stuff. And we only really got, uh, Prophecy 2 with Danzig and that kind of sucks. The movie itself is, uh, is all right. You know, it's not. As good as the first one, for better or worse, but there's more action though. There is more action, and uh, a lot of it, jumping from uh, rooftop to rooftop in slow motion. Well, that's you know, don't you want that in every movie? Just oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'd I'd watch some Hallmark movies if there was slow motion jumping from roof to roof. <laughs> it's uh. It's like good because they've got an, again a solid cast, uh, you know, with Eric Roberts and, and Christopher Walken again, and Russell Wong, who I like, but. It, it, uh, it definitely feels like a, a higher scope of direct-to-video movie. So again, it's like, was this supposed to go to the theater and it ended up going direct-to-video or it's, it's good. It's, uh, it's a cool movie. I enjoyed it. I thought it was definitely one of the better of the time direct-to-video movies. And I, again, I'm not, you know, I'm not shitting on direct-to-video movies. There are a lot of really good ones and this is one of them. It was cool. Like it, I feel like it wasn't as good as the first one, but it did have some good like action set pieces and it feel like it still managed to capture like the overall vibe of the first movie like it, it looked like it belongs as a sequel as a, as a companion to the first movie so i i like it i've, I've revisited it a few times and i i enjoy it enough and there's sort of a running thing which will even come up later in the third movie those zombies i was talking about with which were amanda Plummer and adam goldberg in the first movie where he kind of has these zombie gabriel has these zombie assistants who he makes do all the stuff he doesn't want to do mm. and in this one it's Brittany murphy as izzy a girl who had just committed suicide he can only revive the recent dead right i don't know if there's a ticking clock or something but he stumbles upon her you really feel bad for her because she just wants to die and he <laughs> won't let her and i actually don't you kind of feel bad for her in this that she just wants to die that's that's a very it's a good element it adds a i don't know it adds a good dramatic sense or, or a dramatic feel to the film for sure it's really a shame. Brittany Murphy never really got the credit that I think that she was due. Like, she did a lot of really good movies. She did small independent films where she was very good. She kind of uh, was getting the larger films that were terrible, and she was good, but they never really took off. Like, I always found her to be a really good actress that just, for me, she should have been like the Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon, for whatever reason, kind of took off. And I'm not saying that they both couldn't have taken off. It just didn't really hit. And and it's a shame. I always liked her. And yeah. And then she, she kind of just got like delegated to being known as uh, the chick in that Eminem movie, right? Well, but then there are a couple other things about Prophecy 2 that are kind of interesting, maybe thematically, whether they intended it or not. Because of the fact that Valerie is pregnant, a pregnancy she didn't want, she, you know, is advancing and has made her incredibly important Sarah Connor style, there is this sort of 
abortion debate going on because she does not want this child. Whereas the angels, I mean, literally God has chosen her. Well, not God, an angel has chosen her to bear a Nephilim against her will. Is there sort of a political abortion, anti-abortion thing there? Or is it just the Weinsteins being like, nah, none of that's there. Um, I think there probably is. There was more, more than likely like a pro-life versus pro-choice kind of thing. And th- this isn't something that was even like new in, um, horror movies either. Like there's a, there's a big element to that in the uh, original Black Christmas film as well. So I don't think it's like beyond logic or anything that they were kind of playing to that, especially because politically that was becoming like a bigger thing. Like you had more people coming out being pro-choice, you know, my, my body, my choice kind of stuff. And then you had the, the evangelical religious Christian Republican types that are like, no, you can't kill the baby. I don't see how they couldn't have put that in the movie, especially since I think the message in it is, is pretty clear. Like that is kind of what they were, what they were going for. There, there's also an element of kind of a rapey vibe with Danielle because it's, it's not stated, but it's heavily implied because Valerie, she's not a virgin, but she's very celibate. Mm. It's heavily implied the way he seduces her is he's sort of hypnotizing her because he chose her to bear the nephilim so his intent was i'm going to get this woman pregnant mm. doesn't that kind of add a creepy rapey vibe to the angels in a this? little bit you kind of had that in religion already with you know the the birth of jesus is uh you know god just kind of yeeted his seed into mary there's also another strange thing because the first movie was very much a, a like a road kind of movie and it was very set in the lots of stuff set in the yes, desert yes. lots of stuff set in in rundowns it, it kind of had a western sort of feel to it which was which when you listen to the soundtrack is very intentional mm. that that can't be a, a coincidence cuz that it's got a very western style soundtrack whereas prophecy 2 is very it urban is. Yeah. This all takes place in the middle of the city in run-down buildings and industrial parks and has a much harder soundtrack. I actually really like the dichotomy between one and two. This one almost feels cyberpunkish in a way. You tell me the visual style, the lighting, the way everything is wet and there's so much electronics everywhere. This almost almost has a cyberpunk vibe to the second oh, movie or am totally i reading does. way too much in? yeah all the all like the kind of blue cold kind of lighting uh the rundown industrial district of town while still keeping the same sort of vibe from the first movie it's just all the angels dress like they're homeless people <laughs> yes um it's very much still the same sort of vibe as the first movie but it's in a different setting but it's like what that setting would look like in the same universe as the as the first movie now now we're off to more of like a cold kind of kind of setting as opposed to the western style hot desert now we're sort of more urban cyberpunk industrial district lots of blues lots of shadows and stuff it's done really well it's a great looking film well, this one ends with Archangel Michael, Eric Roberts, punishing Gabriel by making him human at the end. He can no longer hear God. He can die. He's human, and he's now a derelict on the streets of Los Angeles. 
we get this sort of ominous, the war is still going on. Because they keep cutting to these things where when lightning flashes, you can see angels fighting off in the distance in the sky. The war is still going on. Now, a quick side note about this movie. This movie probably made publicity that the Weinsteins didn't want to make. When Christopher Walken arrived on set, he was carjacked of his Prophecy 2 script, glasses, keys, driver's license, and wallet when he first arrived at the airport. Oh, God. So that brought a little unnecessary publicity. There's something that also happened starting with this movie and a couple of the sequels. A lot of the cast, the writers, the directors, also wrote and directed Children of the Corn sequels, which were also owned by Miramax at that point. So I don't know if it's sort of weird how much Children of the Corn people are in these movies. I found that strange when I was doing the research. Like, there's a lot of Children of the Corn people in this. That is probably one of those rare times when you could actually say that. Then, this was a pretty modest hit on video, so they made a third film. This one made to go direct to Mm. video. Prophecy 3, The Ascent. The first feature film directed by Patrick Lusset, who I really loved in Drive Angry. I loved Drive Angry, but this is his first Mm. movie. So now you've got Christopher Walken as Gabriel. Gabriel is the good guy now. Now Vincent Spano as Zophiel is the bad guy, and you've got Danielle is back, although he's not played by Russell Wong anymore. You've got a lot of ties to the first movie again. You've got the little Indian girl is back. This one is much more of a redemption arc for Gabriel, because now the child is growing up from the last movie. The child is grown up. Both sides want to use him again as a way to end the war, one way or the other. Gabriel is, he he gets his angelic powers back. He still pulls the, the asshole rising people from the dead against their will, but kind of does it as a good guy now (laughs) it's sort of it's sort of weird and and he's got long scraggly hair and he's learned humanity because he's been forced to live on the streets of la you know all all these years as a bum so he no longer no longer calls us talking monkeys honestly he he has a good redemption arc at the end this movie should have been the end that's why it was the end of the franchise for quite a few Mm. years because gabriel goes through a complete arc in these three movies the only thing i'll say about this one that came across as pretty weak because I think the story's all right. It's got good production values. I don't know, uh, probably Scissorhands Weinstein <laughs> again. I don't know exactly what happened. Tell me if I'm wrong. There are not obvious reshoots in this, because I don't know if Christopher Walken grew his hair out for this movie, or if it was a wig. Oh, I'd say it was but either there extensions are... or a wig. But you, you tell me that you can't tell in some scenes where the wig is not fitting properly, <laughs> and they're all scenes that are just Christopher Walken talking. Oh, absolutely. There, cause there, there's a bit there, of, there, a, there are scenes that, a bit of a samurai cop vibe there. Yeah, there, there, there is more than one scene where you just go, oh, this just doesn't quite match lighting wise, that, oh, there's a lot of reshoots in this movie too, probably months after the fact. <laughs> so that, that doesn't bode well, but I think the movie actually does work in this. I kind of like the fact that this is an ending. This is where it should have ended. Like I said, this is a complete story. If you go through Prophecy 1, two and three gabriel has a complete story in this one you have the full arc he gets you know he starts off he's the bad guy and then he gets his redemption at the end and it it works because you can actually watch all three of these and feel like you've got a full story 
it's probably why they they were like, okay, we got a trilogy here. Let's stop. And for whatever reason, they decided to continue. It's also slick. I I think I'm not sure. Luce, I think it's Lucier. I think is is Patrick Lucier is the how you say the last name. I'm not entirely sure, but I, regardless, he's done a lot of like really fun, cool movies, and you can see like a lot of his directorial style here. It's very slick. And, uh, very like, you know, I mean, it was 2000, but it was late 90s when he was shooting this and it has that kind of late 90s look to it. It was cool. I, uh, I, I think that the whole, um, devil and angels, you know, war movies, it's not really done as much as they probably should. And a lot of times when it is done, it's done kind of crappy. I think this is, uh, it's done well because even though this was a, you know, a drop off in budget from the first film. And obvious drop off and obvious budget. drop off in budget i still think that they 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 did the best with what they had probably the majority of the budget went to walk in to oh, keep yeah. him on board but i mean you got brad duriff on there granted you know not in a huge Th- that yeah that is one of my problems how do you have brad duriff and you kill him 10 minutes into the oh, movie God. you had brad duriff people <laughs> they could have yeah they could have done a little bit more with him but overall i liked it i thought it was fun i thought it was uh I thought it was cool i thought it was a nice ending to the trilogy and uh yeah it's where it should have ended for sure i agree it has its problems uh this one's definitely a little more noticeable that it's a direct video thing but still not a, not necessarily in a bad way it's still a good looking film it's got a lot of great moments in it christopher walken is, is still good even if his his wig or extensions are a bit goofy looking and wrong looking at times i do think it's a good finale and it is definitely where it, it should have ended I also like the fact that it's an actual sequel, that it picks up, even though Jennifer Beals is not coming back, even though Russell Wong is not coming back, their characters are still in this. It still feels like it's part of the first two. Right, and a nice little callback to the original movie. There's actually a couple of callbacks to the first Mm. movie. Moira Snyder, who played Mary, the little Indian girl that had the evil soul in her in the first movie, she's back in this one as the same character. Mm. I liked that. And also in the first movie, Christopher Walken took Amanda Plummer as his zombie to a diner when they were coming out to the desert before they met Satan, before they met Lucifer. Mm. Sandra Ellis Lafferley was the, the waitress. He comes to the same diner in this one, and and Lafferty is playing the same waitress, and she recognizes him, and she's like, new girlfriend, huh? <laughs> and yeah, that was cool. I really, it was a nice little callback that didn't feel forced. Yeah. So, Prophecy 3, The Ascent, was not a bad movie, and it was a good bookend, and it would have just laid there. I don't know why, all of a sudden, in 2005, someone decided... Let's make more prophecy movies because I'm telling you right now, they didn't because I guarantee you these movies were four and five were Hellraiser (laughs) that these were not, isn't it? Isn't it sad that that's a term now? Even more ironic that Doug Bradley is actually in four, but exactly. I guarantee you these were not written as prophecy movies. Okay, they have a they have a reference here or there or a name drop, but you can tell these are a totally different continuity. These are a totally different backstory. When Satan appears in this, it is definitely not the same character that Viggo Mortensen played as Lucifer in the first movie. You can tell that you can tell Prophecy Uprising and Prophecy Forsaken were not written as prophecy movies. These were scripts that Miramax had lying around that they decided, well, just one quick little shine, now they're prophecy movies. (laughs) And that's why these... 
the one thing I'll give four and five is they are sequels to one another. Yeah. Kari Wurr is the same character in both, and five follows the events of four. So fine, I'll, I'll give you that. But these are not prophecy movies. These should not have been prophecy four and five. And I think that's their biggest problem. And also, you know when you Hellraiser a movie, and poor Kari Wurr, because this happened in, in Hellraiser five, I think it was, or it might have been seven, Hellraiser Debtor, <laughs> where... They, 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 they take poor Kari Wurr and say, hey, we're going to shoot some direct-to-video sequels that are not written as sequels, and we're going to shoot them in Czechoslovakia. And people are, or I, people give shit to the new, like, Halloween movies that are coming out, that it's like, Halloween kills, Halloween ends, like, Hellraiser Deader. Yeah, it's not even my a word. God. <laughs> Oh my but God. so for for both of these, they're they're directed by Joel Sosian, I think is is the name, who directed Children of the Corn Genesis. Oh like I said, a lot of Children of the Corn people <laughs> in this. These have a very Eastern European feel, and I know they take place in Eastern Europe. But even right away, you're like, wow, these were not shot in America, mm. and you can tell. Oh, yeah. Even though they got a lot of American actors in them. Well, Doug Bradley's British, but, you know, a lot of English-speaking actors in them. These movies, I'm not even going to go into the plot because it doesn't really matter. Other than the fact that it... You know, the three original ones were where everything interesting happened, and now you have The Leftovers. Kind of all four and five are, and they're not even... I don't even think they were really even... Like you said, they could have been, like, leftover scripts for something entirely different or, like, uh, something that was originally going to be Hellraiser, and they were like... Hey, we haven't. Uh, there hasn't been a prophecy movie in a while. Let's turn these two into them. And isn't it isn't it like a trivia thing that they were also shot like back to back or something? Yeah, they were both shot back to back. They came out a month apart. They were shot by the same director, Kari Wurr, stars in both of them, same cinematographer. Blah blah blah. These are cheap. Oh yeah. These are cheap cash-in movies, and I think that's why most people have no clue that, wait, there are five prophecy movies? Because <laughs> these aren't real prophecy Okay, Tony Todd shows up in five. Other than that, okay, Doug Bradley, he's not playing Pinhead. He's playing a cop. He's not really a big name. You've got Simon, Eric Stoltz character from the first movie back in this, but not Eric Stoltz, obviously. Mm. Like I said, even if I didn't tell you these were not written as prophecy movies, you could totally tell when you oh, watched absolutely. them. When you watched these, did you not immediately say to yourself, these just don't feel like they're part of the same franchise? Oh, definitely. It very much had a had a similar vibe to like, like a Claudio Fergasso kind of movie, you know, where you, you talked about how it's very clearly shot somewhere in like Eastern Europe or, or somewhere else, but they're using like English speaking American and, and British speaking actors to kind of be like, ah, they're not going to know the difference, but they absolutely do because of like the kind of wonky translated script from whatever other language to English probably. And the very like European setting, like with, but with very like American looking and sounding actors, like it can, it can, it can work sometimes and be really fun and, and kind of interesting. But in the case of prophecy, it just felt kind of weird. And just having these be sequels or, or pretending to be sequels to prophecy, it also goes back to like the troll movies, how after Troll 2, we somehow got an Ator sequel that ended up getting stuck with with the Troll 3 title. 
And it just has this weird, like, strange, this doesn't actually fit Fergasso sort of element to it. Well, there's also the fact that I'll give them a slight bit of credit that they are obviously shooting in Eastern Europe. They weren't trying to say, like, oh, look, it's San Francisco (laughs) or something that it's actually set in Eastern Europe. So I give them a little bit of credit for that. In, In these, there is a book that has been discovered in Eastern Europe where it is the 23rd chapter of the final book of the Bible. Mm. It's it's basically post-revelations is what it is, and it's called the Apocalypse. And if this book gets into the hands of renegade angels, they can use it to bring about the Antichrist. So that's what 4 and 5 are about. I, I, again, a little bit of credits due. 5 is a direct sequel to 4, since these were shot back-to-back. These are one story. And although 5 does end on a giant, giant cliffhanger, <laughs> and hopefully this is the last prophecy movie we get, but 5 does end on a huge cliffhanger of the Antichrist now is born is basically where it ends and i guess the next one would be post-apocalyptic if they do it it's not a bad idea post-apocalyptic prophecy sequel you know have have it go all mad max but with angels (laughs) i actually now that i'm saying that out loud i'm not as against that as i thought it would be pretty cool that sounds kind of like um was that was there's a sort of a movie like that i think it was called legion and it was just terminator but with angels yeah the only problem with Legion was they cut so much out of it, it made no goddamn sense <laughs> yes. when it was released. The, there's also a movie from uh, a few years back. It was called, had the very unfortunate title, but also hilarious, I'm Not the Devil Mo- was it? I'm Not the Devil Mommy? Because we're going back, I'm just thinking of this now, but I believe it was a Spanish film mm-hmm. that, you know, they translated to English, and so that kind of, you know, a little lost in the translation. Oh, but, um, no. Uh, hold on. Let, let me a lot cooler in let Spanish. Me just it's I'm not Jesus, mommy. That's it. <laughs> it's, oh my god! It's basically this woman enters into this like secret cloning thing, and mm. they manage like she wants a baby, so they. Oh, I saw the trailer for this. It? Now that you're saying, th- yes. Once you started mentioning the cloning thing, I'm like, shit. I did see the trailer for so this. She clones. <laughs> she clones herself, and that somehow, like, so she keeps the clone of herself as like her child, but he's really the Antichrist, oh, and it's um because he's born without a soul because yeah. it's a clone. So it it's amazing. It's so, it's just so ridiculous. I like, I watched it because somebody had mentioned it and they were like, I got this movie. Like they, they had sent, they, they got sent like a screener of it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I need to see this movie immediately. Uh, Just on the title alone. And, uh, yeah, I I checked it out and I was not disappointed. If you're looking for a good movie, you're not going to find it here. But if you're looking to be entertained with some ridiculousness, you're going to find it here. Unfortunately, what you won't find is a lot of quality in Prophecy 4. No! Because they're, they're very cheaply shot. These were very 2000s direct-to-video. You know, because remember, in 1990, in the 1990s, direct-to-video, they still had pretty decent-sized budgets. A direct-to-video movie was not a throwaway thing back then. By 2005, this was a throwaway thing. I don't know, they just felt so different mm. that they just... They feel like they're not part of this franchise, and I don't think they should be. Like, even when I, I picked up, like, a, a box set with all five movies, and I'm watching it and going, there's only three Prophecy movies on this set, though. There's just two other films. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that happens all the time. Probably what happened was Miramax probably bought some other company. They absorbed their library. And it was like, hey, we've got these two movies that haven't been released yet. What are they? Oh, they're, uh, they're we, we can, they're religious movies. We can make them prophecy sequels. And then they decided <laughs> to do that. Okay, with this franchise, most people are aware of the first three movies. It's when I told some friends that we were doing all five movies, that's where in a lot of the, wait, there are five? <laughs> came up. I mean, even some people in the know, like I was talking to Brandon Tenold, and I I mentioned it to him, and he was like, wait, there's five? A guy who's pretty in the know. Oh, he's definitely, he's a major cinephile like we are, for sure. And he had no idea that there were there were five movies in this franchise. Obviously, when it comes to direct-to-video, we don't get numbers. We don't know how well things do because, you know, sometimes we'll get like, you know, it sold X amount of units, but by the 2000s, we didn't get those numbers. I'm going to wager that since most people don't even know that these movies exist, I'm going to say that Prophecy 4 and 5 didn't do so hot. Probably, probably not, no. Probably not, or it there would have been a, like a another one. Decent, it, it may have had a good, like, international uh, market, possibly. Like, it may have sold well in, in Europe, but pretty much everything sells well over there. But I, I don't think it, it got a very good, uh, it probably didn't do very well domestically, and that's both, like, Canada and America, because most people here don't know that there are five prophecy movies. Most people don't even know that there's three. They think there's just only, like, two. So to round this out, since this is a religious franchise and this was meant to be our Christmas episode, where do the, where does this franchise stack up? Because I look at it as it's got three good movies that have a complete arc in it. As an atheist, I wasn't offended at any of the religious stuff and the war between angels and that. I have seen on some religious movie review sites they call these movies blasphemous. Oh, they call everything I blasphemous. Would, I, well, I would actually love to hear from religious listeners whether these movies are blasphemous or just an exploitation take, you know, using angels. Because go back to Gregory Wyden's original movie. This could have just been Immortals. This this is it's kind of a not Highlander franchise in a way. And even Highlander itself has um, religious connotations to it, like how churches are holy ground and they can't fight there and stuff. So I think even in his writings back then, he had like uh, like a, a religious sort of, not necessarily religiously motivated himself, but religiously motivated to like add stuff like that into the into the script, like kind of, I guess, uh, Jesus-y kind of stuff. Overall, I mean, one, two, and three are good. Uh, four and five, they're not terrible. You could, I could think of plenty of other things you could watch that would uh, be infinitely more painful. And I mean, I'm uh, agnostic now in in my uh, so I I mean I grew up Irish Catholic, but I'm more agnostic now. And I've never even when I was religious to a certain degree because of my upbringing, I never really found any offense in that. It's like entertainment. It's it's a different thing. You, you know, you are you're watching something, and it's not being sacrilegious. Now, I do think there are certain things where they are you know intentionally trying to rile people up by being yes. sacrilegious but i don't think that was the intention here i think they just wanted to tell a story and they were using uh you know a religious avenue for it and there's nothing yes. wrong with that 
I also think, and this does go back to the problem with 4 and 5 being from 2005, the first three movies, okay, three actually came out in 2000, but they all are all very ni- late 90s movies. And I don't mean that in a negative connotation. They're all very late 90s movies. 4 and 5 really feel 2000s. They feel post, they feel post scream. They are kind of self-aware. They have that sort of saw washed out look to them, mm. which I, I guess, how often have we seen that when something is shot in Eastern Europe? Well, it's got to be all gray and washed out. Because, yeah, that's what Eastern Europe actually looks like, <laughs> right? They want you to think that's what it I'm, looks I'm, like so you don't move there. I'm just getting sick of that of that look every time. Every time an action movie starts with the villain being trained in Eastern Europe, it's that washed out. I don't know why Eastern Europe has to look like that in movies. It's it's a weird trope that bothers me. It has me. to look all ominous and over there it's evil. And this guy's being trained in the evil ways of Eastern Europe. And it's, yeah, it's all gray and, and washed out. It's even worse when that's what the entire movie looks like. And this isn't even like something that was shot in Bulgaria. This is a Hollywood motion picture. Is that new? Pet Cemetery movie just looked like shit. completely great, just awful. I couldn't get into it. I couldn't get thirty minutes into it. Which is one of the things that the the first three prophecy movies they look that they have a lot of brightness. They're to really them, lush, you know? like lots of nice the, the, shadow the, the, and contrast. It's great. Well, and one and three taking place in the desert, you have those deep oranges, mm-hmm. and you you have you have reds as the sun is going down. And the the second movie, like we said, is is a more cyberpunky, cold sort of Terminator, James Camerony kind of look, mm-hmm. but it's still got great lighting. Four and five just look gray. Yes. They, they look dull. They look boring. Even if the scripts were better, these look boring. They look very They're visually generic, yeah. uninteresting. They're, yeah, they're just, they're so visually uninteresting looking. These are kind of like the Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 and 5. <laughs> Remember how, strangely enough, those were sequels to each other, but not the other movies? You've got to stop doing this. you got to stop just tacking on sequels. I know they don't do it as often anymore, but it still happens. I really would recommend the Prophecy franchise if it were 1, 2, and 3. I'm just, we have, you know, the franchise as a whole. I can't recommend it as a whole, because 4 and 5, they fucking suck. Well, recommend, recommend 1, 2, and 3, then. Well, yeah. Then go watch Prophecy 1, 2, and 3. Like I said, it's a complete arc. You got walking, really walking up the hell out oh, of it. Oh, yeah. And, and also, it's kind like of, I said, uh, not to interrupt you, but like, it sort of shows an interesting evolution of Walken in general, cause he's a lot more understated in the first one and even a little bit in the second one, but then he started getting a little more over the top. And in three, he's pretty much the Walken we know and love today. Like Walken in the first movie is a bit more like deer hunter walker or Walken. And then he gradually becomes sort of meme Walken. Well, he was human by that yes. point. He was, you know, living on the Makes streets sense. and eating out of trash cans. So <laughs> that, that was his, that's what his sentence from Eric Roberts was. He, he didn't take uh, getting carjacked very well. But, but then, <laughs> but then you, you also, you also have, have this thing about the war between heaven and hell that we can't see. I find really interesting. Yeah, that's really and I'm cool. coming at this from an atheist. You know, again, the Highlander sort of thing. There's an, a war between immortals that's happening just outside of your vision, just outside of your line of sight. I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend the franchise as a whole? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the, the first three 
are the most relevant ones. We're not necessarily relevant, but they, their actual prophecy films, whereas four and five were, I don't even know if you could call it a cash in, cause how are you going to cash in on prophecy? It, it didn't do amazingly well to begin with. If you're curious and you want to prove us wrong or whatever, or you really want to see how much they don't fit or, you know, just check them out for yourself and get your own opinion. I, I would recommend all five. Like, why not? Be a completist. Watch them all. Uh, one, two, and three, definitely the best. Uh, four and five, hey man, you know, it's got heart, car whirr in it. You could do a lot worse. Well, and then also you need to go look up the Madonna music video for Bad Girl because, like I said, it's not technically playing Gabriel. Christopher Walken is basically playing Gabriel in that two years before the f***ing film would actually come out. <laughs> Thank you, Scissorhands Weinstein. Oh, my God. So, since this was meant as our Christmas episode, Merry New Year to everyone. Merry New Year! <laughs> Where can people find Cecil and wish him Merry New Year? Uh, you can find me, uh, having a Merry New Year over at, uh, goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. <laughs> of course, how could I forget YouTube? And 1201beyond.com. Where can we find Peter, who I guess hasn't celebrated Christmas yet because he's got that weird Serbian thing going on? <laughs> uh, you can find me paying tribute to everybody's holiday. You know, have a happy holiday, have a Merry Christmas, have a Happy New Year, have a crazy Kwanzaa, have a happy Serbian in January Christmas. All of them are great, uh, as long as you're all having a good time with your family or, or whatever. I don't know. Celebrate whatever you want to celebrate. On uh, Twitter, at Cinematica, Facebook, The Cinemasticus, YouTube, The Cinemasticus. 1201beyond.com, the fine programming on Patreon at Zinematica. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon, which if you wanted to, we really could use the help. There's the Nord code and the Adam and Eve code. So, guys, go watch the Prophecy movies. And I would say watch all five. Tell me if I'm wrong about four and five. Maybe you really dig them. I did not. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Blackest of the black, dark of the night Come to me, my bleeding light See she comes, she comes now Enter oblivion Hey, she is all of their light in my arms Hey, she here in twilight Oh, please she
Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.